Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Throwback Book Stack. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast where we reread the books that we read as kids, that we loved as kids, except now we are cantankerous adults. So we look back at them through cantankerous adult eyes and judge them, judge ourselves, see what we still love, see what we now hate. I am one of your hosts, Kelly. I'm Emily. And this week... We have Lewis Sacker's book, Sideways Stories from Wayside School, which is a very classic, weird little children's book. I know a lot of people are familiar with this one. I've had a couple people suggest this one to us, so I'm hoping a few of you out there have read it. Um, This is published in 1978, and it had a number of sequels that came out. There's, you know, five of them. There's a lot. There was math books based on this. There ended up being an animated TV show based on this. This book has sort of generated a lot of content in the universe. And this was a book that both of us had read, right? Yes. Yeah, so this came out in 1978. Um, It sold over 4 million copies, so it's a book that has definitely had a lot of circulation. And if you haven't listened to our podcast before, we, uh, we summarize every book completely, so you can join us in the conversation. So if you haven't read this book and want to, drop out now, read the book, come on back. But, um, do you want to summarize this or should I? Oh boy. I mean... I don't know how we summarize this book. I can try. If you've read this book, you know exactly why neither of us want to summarize it right now. The thing about this book is that it's not so much a book with a plot. Definitely not. What it is is a book about this very bizarre school called Wayside School. It was built, um, instead of being built the way a normal school is, like with one story and 30 classrooms spread out... The classrooms are stacked on top of each other, so it's a 30-story building, but each story is only one room. And so this entire book is about the children in, well, the whole class that is in the 30th story. Do we even learn what grade they are? No. Yeah. It's a weird existential crisis of a book. Yeah, so you follow them, like, the first chapter is about the teacher, um, and the first chapter the teacher is Mrs. Gorf, who is a witch, basically. She has the ability to turn people into apples if she doesn't like them. And so that whole thing is about how she eventually turns the entire class into apples, but then they trick her into turning them back into kids and then turning herself into an apple. And then she is accidentally eaten by the recess guy. Lewis, who's named after the author of the book. He is, but I don't know his title at the school. Oh, yeah, he's like the yard supervisor. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He's, she's excellent. Eaten. So then the second chapter is about their new teacher. Note that first chapter was like four pages. Yeah. Mrs. Jewell. And you learn a little bit about her, which is basically just that she's really weird. And then each chapter following just kind of introduces you to the students. And there are some like running themes throughout the book. Like, if you learn something about a student, it'll pop up again later. Like, for instance, you learn that Miss Jewel has um, her way of, like, uh, keeping order. Is She has a face on the blackboard that's marked discipline. And if you are in trouble one time, you write your name under it. If you're in trouble two times, she adds a check mark after your name. And if you get in trouble a third time, she circles your name, and then you have to go home early on the kindergarten bus. Not only does that stay consistent through the whole story, but then you learn about this guy named Todd who is always accidentally getting in trouble even though he's never really doing anything wrong. You hear from every other story, like, and then Todd went home on the kindergarten bus. Like, Todd so, is like, very symbolic of, I feel like, capitalism keeping us down. 
that you're always in trouble no matter what you do. Yeah. And the people in power are the ones that put you there. Right. I have a lot of feelings about this book. Or, like, uh, it's said that at recess there's, like, a yellow ball that no one wants because it doesn't do what you need it to do. It doesn't like, do anything a ball does. Like, if you try to bounce it, it just goes and completely doesn't move. Or if you try to kick it, it'll somehow go behind you. If you learn something weird about the kids, it stays consistent. But, like, there's no plot. There's yeah. zero plot. Every chapter is just introducing you to the kids and their weird things it's like a weird vignette about a specific weird characteristic of each kid each chapter yeah and the chapters are all very short yeah they're like three pages um and most of them like it's weird because some of them are set up almost as if you're learning a lesson but most of them are set up in this way of like like it's like a really long setup for a joke and very little payoff in the punchline which is actually, like, my favorite kind of joke. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. those jokes where you really think it's leading up to something, and then the punchline is almost like a sucker punch, and you're like, why did I sit through all this joke for that? The weird moral fable ones are very strange to me, where it ends with, you know, and then the kids learn this, and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. So that's basically the summary. It's a, it's a tough book to summarize. If you've read it, you're like, yeah, no one can summarize this book. <laughs> I remembered reading it, and I remembered it was about, like, a school where like wacky things happened and I thought I remembered that there was no 13th story um it turns out there's no 19th story mm -hmm. it's not the conventional like no 13th but like that was kind of in my head and the book in general rang a little familiar but when I was I read the wikipedia on this after I was done reading it and there's like a bunch of like side like Kelly was saying just like little like wayside student math book wayside school whatever book like but there's three that are like the main books this one and then wayside school is falling down which i believe came out in the 80s yeah and then wayside school gets a little stranger and that one came out in 1995 and i feel like when that came out there was a big push at all the like scholastic bookstores and like borders or whatever to like really like sell that to kids because it was the new book. Mm -hmm. And reading the Wikipedia on that, that book was way more familiar to me. So I think I either read that one more or... Because I do think I read this book, but I don't think it was as popular like with me and my classmates as the one that came out in the 90s. Mm -hmm. I read all of the these books. I mean, I and I read them multiple times as a kid. I owned all these books. Um, I feel like Wayside School is Falling Down, the second one, is the one I read the most. Because definitely, I also, looking at sort of the Wikipedia description of it, that's the one that I'm like, oh yes, of course, the one with the weird little wolf toy. Like, that's the one that I think resonated most with me. But I did remember this. I remembered all of them. Like, they do, and there's a lot of, like, clever stuff they do. Like, the 19th chapter in every book has something in it related to the 19th story that doesn't exist. Um, like, in this book, it's just, there is no 19th story. <laughs> But yeah, I remember this book. I remember really liking this book. I remember this really matching sort of my humor as a kid. I feel like the fact that Adventures of Pete and Pete was also my favorite show as a kid kind of lines up with like, I really enjoyed surrealist, weird humor as a kid. Never watched that show. Oh my God. We didn't... I have it on DVD. We can fix this. I'm not going to do that. We didn't have cable, so. Fair. I didn't see. I, I think it was a Nickelodeon show, right? Yeah. I didn't really watch many. Uh. It's very on point with today's sense humor sensibility. 
I like the humor in it now, yeah. and I liked it as a kid, but it definitely didn't resonate as much with me. And I'm not sure why, because like I said, that is like the long joke setup I like. Yeah. Um, like that's the kind of joke that my dad tells, and I love all like. I try to tell his jokes this day. I usually forget them halfway through because they're so long. That makes it better. I'm going to have to call. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Hold <laughs> on. Let me call my dad. Yeah, no, I'm trying to tell this joke, dad. <laughs> like, For um, me, just, it was weird. It was a weird experience reading it just because I remember liking this book so much as a kid. I remember reading all of these books as a kid multiple times. I did not remember these books clearly. And now that I reread them, I get why I don't totally remember them clearly because there's not a lot there. Yeah. And they're just sort of this very strange amorphous collection of things so i kind of get why there wasn't like a plot line for my brain to retain yeah i didn't really connect with this at all which i didn't expect and actually made me really sad yeah i i think i honestly liked them more now than i did as a kid because i thought i don't know i was more like impressed by the jokes and stuff yeah. now where i do think i read it as a kid i read all of them probably more than once because i tend to do that with books I mean, I didn't have cable, so what else was I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely remember reading it because it was, like, a trendy book at the time. Like, it was, like, everyone else was reading it, and, like, other kids read it and really loved it. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to not read that book. I mean, I still do that. I still read all the hot fad books. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I want to know what everyone's talking about. But, yeah, it definitely wasn't a favorite of mine. I also have the problem that now that I'm old and cantankerous... I connected with the true hero of this book, Mrs. Gorf. I know. I really loved her. <laughs> oh my God. Mrs. Gorf. Like I read this and I'm like, I am Mrs. Gorf. We are Mrs. Gorf. We're fed up with our job. We're fucking over it. And we're at that point where we are on the edge of destruction and we fucking snap. Like Mrs. Gorf, I feel like represents everything of my experience of working in a corporate job. She was like so excited when she finally found an excuse to turn the last kids into apples because she really only turns them into apples if they do anything to like disrupt her although those excuses start to be more and more flimsy she gets done and she's just like thank god i'm done i can leave <laughs> yeah the quote by the end of the week all the children were apples mrs gorf was very happy now i can go home she said i don't have to teach anymore I won't have to walk up 30 flights of stairs ever again. I felt for her. They don't have an elevator in the school. That's A, not ADA compliant at all. And B, oh my God, walking up 30 flights of stairs every day. I'm like, Mrs. Gorf, I would have snapped earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I did really like her. Uh, like Which said, that was when I realized I'm a monster in my 30s. <laughs> well, I also, I like I said, I do think I appreciate a lot of the jokes almost more yeah as an adult and one of the things i appreciated was how dark a lot of the humor was in this which i really wasn't expecting i kind of thought this would be like dumb kid humor like gross out things or like like you know like almost like slapstick comedy but somehow in book form yeah but instead like a lot of the humor in this book was kind of dark <laughs> there's some dark fucked up stuff in this book which is great a lot of it I found actually really depressing to read now. One of the sort of more moral stories is the story of um, Calvin and Bebe. And Bebe likes to do art very quickly. She And Calvin is bad at drawing, so he has decided his way of contributing is he will be Bebe's assistant. And so every art period, 
she sits down and draws as fast as she can, as much as she can. And Calvin helps her by like giving her, basically acting as her, basically her assistant to hand her crayons and put down more paper. And so within sort of the art time, they'll do 300 pictures together and they're both excited and they both feel good about this working relationship and they both feel like they're contributing and are proud. And then Mrs. Jules comes in and is like, that and like talks about how basically you can't measure art by quantity and you have to measure it by quality and quote it isn't how many pictures you have but how good the pictures are why a person could spend his whole life drawing one picture of a cat and that time i'm sure he could draw bebe could draw two, a million cats two million said bebe mrs jules continued but if that one picture is better than each of bebe's two million and that person has produced more art than bebe which okay okay fun facts we both have worked in the arts we are both art people that is true, but at the same time, Mrs. Jules coming in and crushing these kids for their innovative system that they have built together to, like, achieve their own dreams and the fact that, like, belittling someone who... I'm a helper. I like to assist people. I'm good at assisting. Being told you are not part of the artistic process as an assistant and your art, your, your contribution to this process is not worthwhile is deeply upsetting to me. Like, I was just viscerally screaming at this chapter of, like, Mrs. Jules, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you hurt these children that found joy? Okay, kids, you have joy. Guess what? You're doing art wrong. Do you have any art feelings? No, I agree. I mean, I did think it was, like, they're having fun. They're trying to see how many pictures. It was weird, but it was, that was one of the ones that was weird in, like, a realistic way. Like, I could see kids doing that. Yeah. Versus, like, the weird one where it's, like, they literally kick a kid over a fence or, like, Well, it gets in this whole thing where, like, you have this conception of art where it's considered not real or not important if it's not suffered through to a certain extent or it's not created within a certain kind of process that people conceive of as the artistic process. You see a lot of people that create art for joy or art that is enjoyable being basically diminished for that fact. And I see this kind of an alignment of that of we created something in a process that we built together out of joy, but you didn't suffer enough for this art. You didn't spend all of your time doing one piece forever. So your art is inferior to someone that had spent forever on this cat. Maybe they were creating exactly the kind of art they wanted. How dare you, Mrs. Jules? Yeah, you read a lot deeper into this. <laughs> I was going to point out it was dark because the first chapter starts out with the evil teacher literally getting eaten by another teacher. I guess that's true, too. <laughs> and it's like, that's the joke. He ate her, but he didn't even know it. There's a lot of jokes in here about eating people, kicking people, an adult kicking a child over a well, fence. Yeah, it's that kind of like... That kind of, like, old-school violence that I kind of get. The, like, yeah. you watch the Looney Tunes. It's like, you know, the anvil falling on someone's head where you're like, it's funny. It was I just mean, entertaining to me how much of the stuff in here, I'm like, is interesting given the current sensibility. Like, there was stuff about, like, kids biting each other a lot and teachers throwing funny. students. That was pretty dope. The kids are, yeah, they really are. But, like, kids are like that. It's weird because I really don't know where the line is where it's like, when is it bad to tell kids in a book that it's okay to, like, bite someone because it's funny versus, like, this is gonna fucking hurt someone? You have a chapter where there's a kid literally, like, screaming not to let this girl in the class kiss him because he does not want it, but he's trapped in a chair because he glued his pants to the chair. And the solution that the teacher in the class have decided is she's going to kiss him because that will solve it. And I fucking hated it. He's screaming, okay. no, please don't. And I hate every part of me that loves consent was like, in this chapter that chapter was terrible but you cannot your apples oh, yeah. and oranges like that versus the humor and being like this kid liked biting people but yeah. like yeah i can't even find it because i didn't highlight it i mean i don't remember the context oh the biting 
Yeah. Oh, I got that right here. I highlighted that. So basically what happens is, like, this girl hates everything but ice cream, and I'm like, fucking relatable. Yeah, you do hate all people and love ice cream. I hate all people and love ice cream. Yes, chapter I actually have a note at that chapter. I was like, this girl reminds me of you. Yay! <laughs> it says, we're, literally, the, it starts out, uh, her name is Mauricia? Mauricia liked ice cream. She was sweet and pretty and could beat up any boy in Miss Jules's class. Everyone liked Mauricia, except Kathy, but then she didn't like anyone. Mauricia only liked ice cream. I'm like, this is me. This I found myself in this book. <laughs> but yeah, so basically kind of the weird moral about liking people is the teacher makes ice cream that's flavored like each kid in the class after Mauricia gets sick of all the ice cream flavors that exist, and so... She eats, you know, Todd-flavored ice cream and Ron-flavored ice cream, and she decides she likes the people of the ice cream flavor as well. So by the end of the month, she then likes everyone in the class. But, quote, this turned out to be a problem. Every once in a while, Mauricia would try to take a bite out of Todd's arm in order to get that very special flavor. That very special flavor is the creepiest fucking phrase <laughs> about biting someone. It's true. It sets up a weird one, but it is kind of cute to be like, I just like you so much. Are you just... It sets I up cannibalism is what it sets up. They already set up cannibalism in the first chapter <laughs> as a teacher eating the other teacher. That's true. Speaking of pro problematic things, do you remember the one with Leslie and Paul? The pigtails? Yeah. Yes, I do. It's, I'm not sure how to feel about this one either. I, it also made so, my skin crawl. It's one of those things that did not age well is how I would put it. So the thing is, the ending, the, okay, let me explain the story. So the story is, like, Leslie has these long, beautiful, braided pigtails. And she sits in the desk in front of Paul. And every day, Paul stares at them and, like, fights these urges to pull them. Because they just look like so much fun to pull. And so basically, like, one day he finally gives in to the urge. And, like, he pulls just one. Like, he's this whole thing where he, like, imagines the pigtails talking to him. Which was actually very, like, it reminded me of Bob's Burgers. <laughs> like, you could just see it in, like, the weird, like, when Bob imagines the, the food talking to him. Like, just pull one. It's fine. <laughs> um, so he pulls one pigtail, like, really hard. She, like, screams. And he gets in trouble. But again, as already stated, their form of trouble, like, is getting your name written and then the check and the thing. So he pulls one and gets his name written up. And then he pulls the other because he's sitting there staring at it. And he's like, well, it's not fair to pull one and not the other. And so he pulls the other one, and so he gets in trouble, and he gets the check mark, but he doesn't have the circle. And so he's sitting there, and he literally thinks, here's the paragraph. At last, Paul is satisfied. True, his name was on the blackboard with a check next to it, but that really didn't matter. All he had to do was stay out of trouble the rest of the day, and his name would be erased. It's easy to stay out of trouble when you had the best seat in the class. In fact, Paul could do this every day. He could pull Leslie's pigtails twice, and then stay out of trouble the rest of the day. There was nothing Leslie could do about it. Ah! <laughs> but then, Kelly, you're interrupting. <laughs> there was nothing Leslie could do about it. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Leslie screamed, Yeah! Miss Jewel circled Paul's name and sent him home early on the kindergarten bus. No one would believe he hadn't pulled Leslie's pigtail again. So, like, my problem is, is that this story has two problems. One, it has that thing, which I agree, that it's the worst thing that he would think that he's like, well, I can do this because... Like, this isn't a punishment. I can do this twice every day, and there's nothing they can do about it, because I only did it twice, and you have to do three things to get sent home. But then there's the fact that, like, I don't know how to feel about the fact that she 
pretends that he did yeah. in order to get him in trouble, I agree that that's a fucked up way of him to think. Like, that he could just do it and it would be fine and she has no retaliation. But I also don't like that she pretended to get hurt in order for him to get, like, I guess the justice that she was seeking. It's so deeply loaded because on one hand, yeah, she lies about this injury in order to get justice. But on the other hand, she's working within an inherently flawed system that isn't protecting her. I know, exactly. It's a, Where lot. I was like, it's a lot in this children's book. I was like, I don't, the story is like the worst. Because I was just like, oh, why? God. Like, I, I don't like either way. Like, and no. it's not funny. Yeah, I agree. Or it's like, maybe it didn't age well, but like. It's not for 2018. 2018 and our battle-hardened souls. It's not for us. Yeah. Yeah, that story was a lot. The other one that kind of messed me up a little was Rondi. Rondi, which is called the gaslighting chapter. Hey guys, we're going through all the problematic chapters of this book from 1978. <laughs> the thing about Rondi is like very interesting in a weird sort of existential romp way. Rondi had 22 beautiful teeth. Everyone else had 24. Rondi was missing her front two front teeth, and those were the most those were the most beautiful teeth of all. Basically, everyone constantly compliments her on things that aren't there. Quote, "Oh, this is silly," said Rondi. "Everyone thinks the teeth I don't have are cute. I'm not wearing a coat." Don't you all just love my coat? And what about my third arm? I don't have one. Isn't it lovely? Love your hat, Rondi, said Joy. I'm not wearing a hat, Rondi screamed. That's what makes it so interesting, said Joy. Don't you think so, Leslie? Everyone compliments her on things they don't have. She's being gaslit by her whole class and is slowly going into madness because they keep talking about things that she's not wearing. And it, you get in this whole interesting thing about, like, the things we don't have are the most beautiful things of all. And, like, the expectations we put on the non-existent and sort of our way of interpreting, you know, not being happy with the present and, you know, that the possibility is more beautiful than the actual reality. But really this poor girl is being tortured by everyone and getting in trouble for things she's not saying. So she has to go and tell jokes and act in a performative way and wear boots and hats so that everyone will be disappointed in her and leave her alone. Yeah, I agree. That one was also troubling. Um, the end of it was Rondi screamed, she socked Lewis in the stomach and then bit his arm with her missing teeth and that kind of bite hurts the worst. Maybe that's the biting I was thinking of. <laughs> There's a lot of like biting and also note the reason she bit him was because he told her to smile yeah. to see her cute front teeth, which also was very, did not age well. So I was like, yes, bite this man. Bite this cat calling, <laughs> this cat calling man on the street. Yeah. For all of us that have had men tell us to smile, bite him. I mean, as long as we're doing, like, problematic ones, the only other... Join me in this party. ...ones I could think of, and they weren't as problematic. I just didn't like them because I thought they were more sad than funny. Yeah. But maybe it's just me. Like, I'm also the person who skips over the Scott's Tots episode of The Office. So I it's mean, like, there's some things I just can't handle. That's all of us. But, like, it was the one where... There was two. One where poor Todd and why he always gets set home early... <sighs> And it was just, like, I just thought it was sad, because it was talking about how, like, he gets in trouble, but he's not actually a bad kid. It would be things like, one of the people would whisper to him, like, hey, what page are we on? And he'd be like, page eight. And then he'd get his name on the board for talking. And the whole thing was just frustrating, because it was like, his only goal was to stay there one day for the whole day, and, like, it's causing him to be behind in his learning, which I was like... Yeah, because that's a crazy punishment. Like, what? This is, it was depressing. Um, so that one I thought was sad, and I also thought the one about the three Eric's was really sad. Yeah. There are, like, three guys named Eric 
who all have a nickname, but their nickname doesn't have anything to do with their personality. It has to do with the personality of the other two Erics. It, and the assumptions that people make about people named Eric. Yeah. Like, the saddest one was the one, I thought, who was, like, a really good athlete and all he wanted to do was play. But no one ever picked him for their teams because the other two Erics were so bad at sports that they're just like, no, all Erics are bad at sports. And it talked about how because he was such a good athlete, he made everything look easy, so no one noticed how good he was at everything. And yeah. then he, the one time he dropped the ball, everyone noticed and remembered. And I was like, oh no. Yeah. So those were the two, that, the other two that were bad. Yeah, the Eric one was a lot. Like, I feel like this whole book is about people trapped in a system they have no control over that's hurting them. Yeah. And the people around them making assumptions about them that are destructive, which is basically what school is. I mean, in high school, at least, is you're trapped by the expectations of others in a toxic environment. But these children, these poor children. Do you want to talk about some of the ones you liked? Yes, I want to talk about Sammy. Sammy's my favorite. Sammy was a good one. Sammy is also very relatable to me and the person I am. Sammy is a dead rat (laughs) wearing lots and lots of dirty, smelly raincoats. He also starts a... A chain, like a running gag where there's a lot of dead rat jokes now. Yeah. There's an ongoing joke at work that I am a raccoon. Um, I am basically a trash panda that wanders in as a scavenger into our office and hides in corners in the darkness and grabs free food in the break room and runs away. So... I shall be on high alert for rabies. <laughs> so for me, I was like, oh, Sammy, I get you. Sometimes we're all dead rats in trashy raincoats. And everyone's pulling off your raincoats. And, like, I feel you, Sammy. You're so good. Yeah, it is a really weird chapter. It basically is, like, he shows up and he's the new kid and he smells weird and he has raincoats. And they start taking him off. And the more they take off, there's just, like, tons. The more they take off, the smaller he gets. And the worse he smells. Yeah. And then they get to the end and he keeps just, like, making fun of the teacher. Like, at first she's trying to tell the other kids not to make fun of him. But he just keeps, like, he calls her a windbag a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like telling her to shut up, basically. And it gets to the like the it gets to the final coat, and it was like, uh, it's like that was a dead rat. And Miss Jewel's like, well, I don't allow dead rats in my classroom. <laughs> and then it says, dead rats were always trying to sneak into Mrs. Jewel's class. This was the third one she's caught since September. That was such a great line. And then yeah, there's a couple other instances where dead rats come up then because of that. Yeah, so. one of the girls pretends to be a dead rat to get out of class early. I guess she gets thrown out the window 30 feet. But it's fine. Or 30 floors. They fall out, like, at least three people fall out the windows in this book. Yeah. It's a common problem. Yeah, and they're all fine. Yeah. Physics in this book are very loose. Um, The other one that was really weird to me was Allison? There's a girl who gets... No, Jenny. Jenny basically is late to class because she takes her dad's motorcycle and there's an issue. And she gets to class and no one's there. And these weird men in suits come up and, like, talk to her. And interrogate her, basically, about her classroom. And kind of the end, sort of, of the joke is that it's Saturday. But it never answers the question of who these men are. Like, are they the men in black? Like, are they secret government agents? Like, dealing with this weird, paranormally strange Bermuda Triangle of a school? Like, what? Who are these people? That was what concerned me. Guess that's the joke. (laughs) It's not funny if the government's out to get you. I guess it's funny if you're not scared that the government's out to get you. (laughs) There was the chapter on Nancy, which I actually liked a lot. Yeah. Nancy was a guy, and he hated his name because he thought of it as a girl's name. 
And he has a best friend who is a girl uh, who goes to class on the 23rd story. And one of the reasons they're friends is because she never asked his name. And so he never asked hers. And so they don't know each other's name. (laughs) One day he finds out that her name is Mac, which is like seen as more of a guy's name. And he was like, oh my god, my name is Nancy. And they kind of bond. And then they like decide to switch names. And he goes around telling everyone to call him Mac and she goes around telling everyone to call her Nancy and then like the joke is that everyone in the class decides to switch names and like it gets too confusing and no one knows who anyone is and they all end up switching back it ends and Mac and Nancy were when it's like when they're together they still just call each other hey you yeah and I was like I like that and they keep their new names at the end and they're happy and they call each other hey you and it's nice yeah I thought that one was, like, one of the only cute, heartwarming ones. Yeah. (laughs) It was one of the only ones that didn't end in darkness. Okay, one of the most straightforward moral ones that is also a little haunting is Joy. She steals another kid's sandwich, steals Damon's lunch when she forgets her own, and he has a great sandwich and chocolate cake, and she then hides the remnants around the classroom and gets all these other kids in trouble for, like, oh, he definitely stole it like the apple cores on his desk and oh that kid definitely stole it like look at that cake wrapper none of them basically the end is none of them really remember this after the next day you know like life goes on for everyone else but quote a horrible thing happened joy couldn't forget about filching damon's lunch and for the rest of the year every turkey sandwich piece of chocolate cake apple and tootsie roll pop tasted like mrs mush's porridge so it's you know about how like you will be haunted by your own decisions so make good ones but i'm like it's kind of dark. Yeah, I didn't like the ones that had a moral as much as the ones that just had a plain, like, weird punchline yeah. ending. There's one, the one about Myron. Uh, the rest of the story is weird, and I didn't like it as much, but I do like the part where he was elected class president. He didn't know what class presidents are supposed to do, and he's like, what are you supposed to do? And Miss Jewel's like, you have a difficult job. Every day you have to turn on the lights, and then you turn them off at the end of the day. And he's like, that's it? And she's like, yes. And so, like, the story goes on about the day that he wasn't there, and then they sat in the dark until he got, like, basically impeached. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I just liked it, because it's like, yeah, what does a class president do? <laughs> and I love that they were like, you have this one job. See, I found that story really sad, because, like, the reason he didn't make it is he was helping someone's injured pet. And I was like, oh, yeah, in life you do end up, you know, never getting rewarded for doing good things. Thanks, book, for bringing it fucking real. Yeah, the story itself was sad. I just like that they finally yeah. gave up purpose to the <laughs> class president. There's a weird part where you're introduced to Mrs. Jules that she was, like, scared that the classroom of children was going to be too cute for her to handle. So when she goes in, she sees them all as monkeys. This book is real weird. <laughs> and so the children are like, at first they're trying to convince her that they're children and not talking monkeys. And Which is a common problem in classrooms. Right. And she's like offering, like, she's like, well, I can bring in bananas for you tomorrow. I'm going to have to bring in so many bananas. And like, at first the kids are all like, we're not monkeys. But I thought it was funny that the one kid, Calvin, at first is like, I don't want a banana. And then she's like, I have peanuts. And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> when she finally is convinced that they're kids, he's like, does this mean you're not going to bring me in bananas? Or... I know, he was so sad. <laughs> I thought that was funny. That was pretty great. And like, there's a, like, the humor in here is so, like, this is what I mean when I mean it's like, kind of like, bad joke type humor too. 
Um, Allison stood up. I'm not a monkey, she said. I'm a girl. My name is Allison, and so is everybody else. Miss Jules was shocked. Do you mean to tell me that every monkey in here is named Allison? <laughs> there is a very underlying dad joke quality to this book. Yeah, it's weird. Or like, like just little things like that too. Like it, uh, when they're talking about the the one about the art, he has this quote. Where he's like, "It took her the same amount of time to draw a watermelon as an egg." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> guess that's true. There's like a weird chapter about this guy named John who can only read if he turns the book upside down. Yeah, and his brain like, got flipped. Yeah, in it. Okay, again, that was the kind of like kid humor that I'm like, maybe I found this funny as a kid, but like as an adult, I just thought that chapter was kind of boring. Yeah. But I did like this one little detail where Miss Jules decides that instead of turning the book upside down, because like people write on chalkboards and stuff, he needs to learn how to read. So he, she decides that he should learn how to stand on his head so that he can flip himself upside down. And she's like, go get the pillow from under my desk. <laughs> it's such like a little part, but I just like the fact that she has a pillow under her desk. As you do. I was like, hmm. Indeed. <laughs> from the very beginning, there was a quote about Mrs. Gorf, the like evil one. Mrs. Gorf didn't like children, but she loved apples. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I'm like, Mrs. Gorf, I get you. We all sometimes take weird paths in life that lead us somewhere that we're inherently unsuited for and yet don't know how to escape other than by turning people into apples. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> there was one about Ron, which was a weird story where Ron likes to play kickball but is like really horrifically bad at it. He never gets picked for teams, so every day Lewis, the, what is his name, the yard supervisor... supervisor. There's an actual thing. Yeah, it's like a teacher who's only there to watch the kids at recess. But he's there the whole day for some reason. Lewis is a cop. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, so he always agrees to be on Ron's team. He's like, we'll take this, like... I'm oh, sorry, be... Lewis the yard teacher. Thank you. The yard teacher. You know, he, he teaches, teaches the, the yard. yard. <laughs> we were on the same page with that joke. Glad to see that we are so synced up. Um, Lewis agrees to be on his team every day. Because he's better than all these little kids. So, like, we'll make it really even and make up for the fact that Ron is terrible. But even with Lewis, like, hitting home runs or kicking home runs, like, they still end up losing, like, horrifically every day. And so the end of the story is, like, Lewis is like, why do you always want to play kickball? You can't do any of this. We lose so bad every day. Which is, like, kind of a weird thing for a teacher to say to a little kid. Yeah, like, what's, but, what what kind of money do you have on this game, Lewis? Why do you care so much about the results? Right? But then the, like, punchline of the story, I guess, is, like, Ron's like, Hey, now wait a second, said Ron. Don't go blaming it all on me. You're half the team, too, you know? And with that, he punched Lewis in the stomach. <laughs> like, that's the kind of ending you get on a lot of these. Like, it yeah. is really weird, and that's what I get where, like, little kids would like it. Because, like... It ends on biting someone or punching something one yeah, that's a, like, like a third of the time. Kid humor. Did you see yourself in any of these these chapters? As I am obviously the person that hates everyone but ice cream and also a dead rat. I didn't see I anyone that was like so. Emily is this. I think Allison was maybe my favorite. Was she the one with the coat? No. No. She was the one who wore a windbreaker, which really dates this. Oh yeah. She like she's the one who like is too nice and like goes around like giving all her things around and then she goes upstairs and learns that miss jules doesn't know how to spell anything oh god and miss jules is like don't tell anyone and it's like you learn the secret that <laughs> children are really smarter than their teachers and allison's like that's no secret everyone knows that 
But that I was also such like, a weird chapter. It was a weird chapter, but I like this little detail that kind of gets lost in that she is really pretty, so all the boys would do that thing where they, like, tease her because they're too young to, like, know about flirting, and she is known for just, like, threatening them. Yeah. They, she's always like, I'm going to knock your teeth out, just like I did Ronnie's. You see how she doesn't have teeth? That was me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to talk about my copy of the book. Mm-hmm. It's, a like, a paperback copy from the library. And someone else has checked out this book before, and they circled one line in the entire book. <laughs> and it is, has me flabbergasted at what line they have picked. Because it's not a joke, and it's not something that makes you think or anything. It is the weirdest line, and it, it is circled. It's not even underlined. It's like, they took some time to go around this more than once. <laughs> It's in the chapter about Leslie, in which is a... I was going to say it's a weird chapter, but they're all weird chapters. But her thing is that she is thinking about selling her toes. Like, cutting them off and selling them to Lewis. And she ends up not doing it because he keeps dropping the price and she thinks her toes are worth more money than he's offering. And so there's a paragraph in it that says, I'll give you five cents for the big one, but just look at that scrawny little runt of a toe on the end there. You're lucky to be getting even three cents for it. I think you're getting a darn good deal. And this person has circled the line, I think you're getting a darn good deal. And that is the only line in the entire book they've circled, and I don't know why. I have so many questions about this person. Right? That's such a random line in such a random chapter. Anyone can think of a reason why that would be the only... Line you'd want to highlight? Like, if it had been something else in that chapter, I'd be like, are they using this to help price their, you know, weird body part selling business? Because A, that's creepy, and B, I'm not sure if this is what you want to use for pricing. Which, first off, is like a truly, really terribly ugly. I think that's a darn good... Why? Yeah. Isn't that weird? God. Also, this now makes me think that, like, if I weren't strictly against vandalizing library books, like, circling a random phrase like that in a book and making whoever checks it out after you be haunted forever is actually a pretty good <laughs> prank <laughs> maybe i'll do that before like next time i sell used books back to the to yield used bookstore um because i don't feel bad about being i don't feel bad about writing my own books to right. sell to haunt people in the future but mm-hmm. uh library books no and this is haunting i'm so sorry i just thought it was crazy so if anyone knows of a reason let me know um i also thought Speaking of things that are unintentionally funny, the little blurb on the back is going for, like, a joke And failing. Thing. Well, not really, but it's funny in a way that they didn't expect. So this was published in 2005, and it just, like, talks about some of the stories, basically. Like, John, who only reads upside down, and Sammy, the new kid, he's a real rat. Come on, hurry up. If you're late for class, Mrs. Gorf will turn you into an app. And then it stops because it's supposed to be like she turns you into an apple, but they got turned into an apple before they stopped the word, like finished saying the word. But it just reads, Mrs. Gorf will turn you into an app, which is like Which a nowadays thing is now. a thing. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. I was like, yeah, what kind of app? So I had one more question for you. Yes. Which was, there's a small part in Terrence's chapter uh-huh. where they mentioned that everyone was playing Spud. And I was like, I haven't thought of that game in years. And my question was, did you ever play Spud? I have no idea what Spud is. Oh my god, that was going to be my thing. I was like, 
We might know it under a different name. Their description actually didn't sound that familiar to me, and I know Spud wasn't, like, a super popular game, but we definitely played it. So in the book, the description of it is um, one person's it, and everyone else has to have a number, and then they throw the it person throws the ball in the air and calls out a number, and the person with that number had to try and catch it. I feel like that's missing something. Did not play this game at all. But I feel like the general idea of, like, throwing up a ball in a group and people catching it sounds familiar to me. Possibly we played it with slightly abbreviated rules. It was not my favorite, but I wanted to talk no, more about, like... No, it sounds like, like there's more better games than this. Okay, so now I want to know what games you played. Because, like, so you didn't play Spud. Did you play Kick the Can? No. We kicked rocks. Did you play Andy Over? What's Andy Over? <laughs> Did you play... Also, keep in mind, again... <laughs> We are from many thousands of miles apart, I know so it's possible we are playing the same games with a different name. That's although why we I definitely just, did not kick cans. That's why I'm just wondering. We fucking recycled out here. Oh, thank you. It didn't have to be a literal can. It could be anything. That was just the name of the game. I mean, we kicked balls and rocks. No, this one was kind of like Capture the Flag. Did you play Capture the Flag? Yes. Okay. This one, so Kick the Can was like, you'd have... There's a, rules to kick the can? I always just assumed you fucking kick a can. No, so like the can or whatever you have as the can is on like a base and... Wait, what? One team is supposed to be guarding it and the other team has to sneak up and knock it over. That sounds very complicated, not at all how I envisioned Kick the Can. Yeah, and so it's kind of like Capture the Flag. I thought you just flag. kicked a can. I thought the title was description. No, it's like Capture the Flag, but you don't actually have to take it anywhere. You just have to knock it over. Oh my god. And then they, they win. Okay. And the other team can, like, tag you out, though. They find you. So there's a lot of, like, sneaking around and spying. We loved Kick the Can. We played Kick the Can all the time. It's good for, like, after dark instead of, like, hide and seek. Like, because then it's, like, all of you are, like, hiding around. And you're looking uh -huh. for the enemies to either get them out or, like, try and knock over their thing. I feel like there could be a better name for this game. Well, I mean, because if it was a can, you'd kick it over. It just seems like it's not descriptive of the gravitas of this game. Um, and then we played Andy Over. So that was when you have, like, you have to have a shed to play Andy Over. Okay, that's probably why we did not play this Andy Over <laughs> game. We don't really have sheds here. But you, like, have a ball. Uh-huh. And you have two teams, one on each side of the shed, so you can't, like, see each other. Uh-huh. And you throw the ball over the roof. And you yell, Andy, when you throw it. And then if they, if it bounces on the roof and, like, rolls off... Whenever they catch it, after it, like, bounces on the ground, they yell, over. But if it doesn't bounce on the roof, if it goes, like, straight over, or if it, like, hits the roof, but they manage to grab it before it bounces, which is harder than it seems, then they don't yell anything, and they try to run around and tag you. And you have to run around and not get tagged, and when you're back on your side, you're safe. But if they tag you, you're on their team then. I can't see this game not being regional as hell. This game is kind of complicated, but once you're playing, it makes this more sense. This game is intense. Yeah. So then you're sitting there, so you throw it over, and you have to wait, because you don't want to run around too soon, because if they didn't, like, if they do yell over and you're on the other side, then they can tag you, because you're off sides. But if you wait, and they ended up catching it before it bounced, and then they run around, they can get you, because they just appear, and you're like, ah, and you got to run. That's a lot. Yeah, it was a good game. Yeah. What else? I don't I mean, know what games did you play. We did a lot of Capture the Flag. We did a lot of Foursquare. Uh, we played a very, uh, very violent version played, of Foursquare. We played Foursquare a lot at, like, recess. Yeah. These were, like, games we played a lot, like, 
in my neighborhood like not as much like gym in my neighborhood we really i mean i don't think Hide we and seek. actually had structured names for things we mostly had a lot of yards that were semi-connected and a lot of trees and a lot of access to water guns and water balloons so that was how my neighborhood rolled was hide in a tree and attack other people or ride your bikes around the neighborhood we did a lot of riding our bikes around the neighborhood like a we, lot we do like water fights and stuff but hide and seek and kick the can were more popular i think because it was fun to wait till it was dark and then do a lot of like sneaking around because we like allowed to go through all the neighbors yards when we were doing that and yeah. stuff so there'd be like climb over this fence like hide behind this tree and there also wasn't a lot of street lights so it was a really good game because there was times when like like one of the best times was when someone laid in their front yard because their porch lights were off and they're right in the open but we never saw them because it's dark it's I... a legend <laughs> I do a lot of street gaming, and I feel like you would be into this. I don't know. You want to get on the adult street gaming? Like... I don't like... Not after shooting Nerf guns at each other. Damn it! <laughs> Why don't you want to join me in shooting Nerf guns at strangers while you're hiding in yards? Yeah, all I want to do is, like, a lot of climbing over fences and, like, army crawling through shadows to kick over a can. <laughs> we can make this happen. If you, I'm in, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Urban Playground movement if you want to start a uh, late night kick the can <laughs> game. Now that I know that kick the can is not just kicking cans. What did you, so you really just thought this game was people kick cans at each other? Yes! That's a dumb game! Yeah, so I thought, why do people play this dumbass game? <laughs> I don't know. Spud was definitely more of a recess game, though. Like, that's why I don't remember as well, because that was like, Spud and Stuck in the Mud were too, like... We play them during connected or not recess but like gym yeah like they'd be like today we're playing spud or today we're playing dodgeball oh yeah we were had very very structured gym so it was a lot of dodgeball mm -hmm. a lot of badminton yeah archery we didn't do as many things that involved any sort of accessories yeah. there was a lot like stuck in the mud was a good one because again you didn't need any equipment my um, junior high had Red the Rover. weirdest set of equipment that made no sense like no one quite knew why we had an archery set we did we were a poor middle school like in an urban environment so like no one quite knew why we had certain things yeah we're just like they're just they've always been here this badminton set has been here since the beginning of time sure no one is quite sure when it arrived we're gonna play with it till it's dead we never ever played badminton in school i'm so bad i at played badminton. it a lot in my backyard I have very, like... I don't know why, but my parents really loved it, so... I can't see the shuttlecock very well. The like, birdie! Yeah, whatever it is. I'm My depth perception is fine, except for fast-moving objects that are small. I spent most of badminton getting hit in the face. Like, I have such a visceral <laughs> hatred of badminton. I'm like, thanks, gym class. Thanks for making me flinch a lot. I flinch oh, yeah. if anything is like, oh, we played a lot of frisbee. That's what we did as a kid. We played so much Frisbee. Never played Frisbee. Oh my god. Everyone owned like at least three Frisbees. I don't think I... I don't like Frisbee. Maybe that's why. But we, I love badminton because yeah. we just played it in my backyard like after dinner. It was one of the few games like my parents would play with us. So. Frisbee's nice because you can just take it anywhere. It's a Frisbee. I was trying to remember any other weird ones. We did Red Rover. I hated Red Rover. I can't believe that game is legal. Oh my god, yeah, we played Red Rover a lot at Girl Scout camp until it got banned, because, like, we busted some girl's nose yeah. super bad. You can really get hurt. Oh, like... yeah. You can get wrecked in that game. Yeah, we, yeah, the summer that Red Rover got banned was, was a violent one for me as a Girl Scout. Girl Scout, I feel like, was where we did most of our, like, 
games that are actually have a rule set in names. Because, like, in the neighborhood, I mean, I grew up with the same set of kids for years. I feel like all the games and stuff we did didn't really have names. It was, we're going to go out and do something. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really structured in any way. And it was sort of at school, same thing. Like, you know, we did basketball, we did Foursquare. But during recess, we also did a lot of just sort of freeform stuff. Oh, and a lot of jump rope. I was super into jump rope for years. I mean, we did a lot of things that weren't, like, real games, but... I think in my neighborhood, we were big at naming everything, too. Mm. So it was like, for instance, we had a game called Bumper Cars, which is we all ran around trying to, like, run into each other and fall down. It's fair. <laughs> but, like, we gave it a name. And, like, we made up, like, different variations to, like, horse and, like, around the world and gave them names that I now can't remember. Like, almost any game we had, even if it was just, like, we're going to go down to the creek and, like, splash around, like, we'd give it a name. <laughs> oh, we had, yeah, we did not name things. That was not a experience we had but but some of these were like games and i think a lot of it was like ones that it was like we were taught by like babysitters or something yeah like especially like when our aunts and uncles would take they'd be like i mean i know my aunts and uncles were the ones that taught us andy over and it was to like get us me and my cousins out of the house and like go play but that's a real game like i've looked it up okay so i'm like i have not heard of this but again not really a shed area yeah do you ever hear a mumbly peg I've actually heard of it. I don't know what it is, but the name uh, is familiar because I thought that is a dumb name. It's a game where you just try to throw a knife at the ground and make it stick and you have to throw it like around your okay, feet. Okay, you're offended that I think kick the can is just kicking a can, but somehow I'm going to throw a knife at my feet is fine. I didn't name it, nor did I actually play it when I was a kid. Is this like the thing because, where you stab the knife between your fingers really fast? I mean, kind of. Because okay. yeah, if you're going to, first off, my parents wouldn't give me many knives. Unless I, like, had a legit reason for using it. That's like, true. I didn't, get my, I didn't get my first knife till high school. <laughs> yeah, right? And so, like, it wasn't a game that we were really Those allowed to play. trying to keep Just us down. Very hypocritical, because my dad told me that he used to play Mumbly Peg, so. Thanks, um, Dad. Way, way to not let your child experience the but, full the full breadth of the world. Exactly. But, yeah, you basically are trying to throw a knife at the ground and make it stick, but not hit your foot. Except for if you deliberately throw it at your foot and hit it, then you get extra points. I hate this game. <laughs> I hate everything about this game. This game is oh, worse than Red Rover. It's not recommended. No! <laughs> uh, it's kind of like lawn darts. It's like really gone out of style. God, that's something I haven't heard of in a while. Yeah, my family actually owns two sets. But to be fair, they got them when I was like in college. It wasn't something we had around when any of us were kids. But I feel like we have them now as, like, like if the zombie apocalypse ever happens, they're going to be, the like, lawn a darts. really good weapon. Yeah. I think. Do you want to do ratings? Yeah. That shit. I did not think about this one. I know. This. this is such a hard book to rate in a lot of ways because it's so weird. Oh, God. Oh, I know. I'm going to give this... Oh, wait for it. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing, Emily? What are you going to do? 3.5. Oh, shit! <laughs> Come at me, world. I know, I'm going oh. low. Here's my thing. Hey, I could give this book just kind of a five. I'm trying not to be like, every book is fine, because that's boring. <laughs> Even though, it, it, like, that's the reason bell curves exist. I think that I don't want to reread this. Yeah. And some of the stories were funny, and I do like the sensibility of the ones that were, like, a really long setup for not much payoff. Those were actually genuinely funny, and I was surprised by how much I liked those. But there was also a lot that were either problematic or boring, to the point where it's like, 
I wouldn't reread this and I probably wouldn't give it to any kid I know. Like if they were reading it and they loved it, I'd be like, that's great. You got a weird sense of humor. Good for you. I'd be curious to read some of the later ones, given they were written so much later. I'm, it's yeah. the same sort of thing as the Patricia Reedy and the Dragons books. I'm wondering if this yeah, evolves. I would be too, because like I said, even reading the Wikipedia, the one written in the 90s stuck out to me more. Mm -hmm. So I also think that even as a kid, I think I liked the later one better. I cannot prove that, though, until I read it. So, <laughs> But this one, nah, I wasn't digging it, you know? 3.5, because I, I think it goes a little more on the scale of disliking. And like you said, there were a couple of problematic things that made me just be like, I can't, I don't want to recommend this to people. <laughs> like, reread it for nostalgia thing if you did love it as a kid. But other than that... That's fair. I think I'm going to give it a 4.5. I almost gave it a 4, but I feel like I really do like how some of the humor was structured. I really do appreciate sort of the dark elements of it that I didn't notice as a kid. Point five of that is entirely because I love their ongoing chapter 19 situation. Like, that's just up my alley. Yeah. You know, there was a lot I liked about it, but same thing. I mean, I'm not sure how much I'd recommend it, and it was really weird for me remembering how much I really liked this as a kid and how much I don't connect with it now. Because, you know, I didn't think like, oh, yeah, that deep dive into humanity, Wayside School... But I, I thought I would have more fun reading it than I did. Yeah, I guess I, that was it. it yeah, like, it didn't, there was definitely some that really didn't age well. It doesn't need to be deep. I wanted it to be more funny than it was. Like, it yeah. did have some funny lines, but so much of it, I guess my other problem is, even now, if I didn't specifically bookmark it, I'm having trouble remembering anything about it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sort of all flows together in a way, and... I love Slice of Life. I love weird vignettes. And so I felt like this should be up my alley. And so the fact that it wasn't and I didn't super enjoy myself made me feel like, oh no, the ones that didn't age well were were a lot to read. So I don't know. It, you know, it's a fun, quick read. So if you did love it and feel nostalgic about it as, as a kid, I mean, yeah, give it another go. Um, yeah. And like I said, I would be interested to see if maybe I like the other ones in the series better yeah i'm especially the last one i'm curious about now since it was written so much later i can definitely imagine kids liking this the humor is definitely something that i i can see it i get it i appreciate why i like this as a kid but for me as an adult no and i'm sad because like i wanted this to be like the weird sort of mysterious fantastical magical art piece that i thought it would be that was like a fun artsy humor weird thing that fits my humor that is a weird artsy wacky thing and no it didn't and i'm sad so 4.5 bye sorry book <laughs> my childhood memory of you is dead now podcast is here to ruin my good memories oh i have nothing comforting <laughs> to say <laughs> much like this book i can't comfort you instead you just will bite my arm very into biting this very book. into biting well thank you everyone for joining us on this mystical adventure if you want to get in touch with us and let us know is kick the can for you just kicking the can? Please tell me if it is. <laughs> if you have any fun childhood games that you enjoyed, um, we're on Twitter at throwbackbspod. You can also reach us by the email at throwbackbookstack at gmail.com. Our music this week is Heartbreaker by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time. Join us again for more books. And bye. You know, I gotta say, you can recycle the can after you kick it, too. It's not one or the other. <laughs>
have one job, and it's to keep your mimosa lower than your computer. <laughs> no.